Hello, and welcome to the Leaders and Learning Design podcast by Blue Consulting and Resourcing, the place to get up-to-the-minute information for cutting-edge learning design. So listeners, last time we were uh, chatting with Linnea Marvel and exploring this idea a little bit further about curated learning and learning in the flow of work. And we want to dig in a little bit further. How can curated learning in the form of pathways and learning journeys really leverage what seems to be a magic magnifier of learning in the flow of work? Well, John, I think I think first thing, you need to clarify exactly what you mean by a magic magnifier. What, what, what does that mean? I'm glad you asked, because from a psychology standpoint, if we're not looking at sort of how the brain is preparing to be ready to learn, I think we're missing some key opportunities to understand where learning in the flow of work um, has so much relevance. And I think relevance is the magic magnifier. When you have a problem and you're stuck and you think, oh, how do I fix this? What do I do next? Um, what do the experts say on this? Then you you're waiting, you're, there's this delay time. If I have to wait for, say, three months for a full-day workshop on um, how to improve my communication skills, there's a big gap and the relevance has dropped. The urgency was today. I needed help understanding how to structure my argument uh, so that I could go in and talk to my boss or I needed help doing a specific skill. And it's not the full workshop. So I want help today, and yes, I signed up for that workshop. I do need deeper learning, but today the relevance, the need um, that makes learning in the flow of work so powerful is relevance. Yeah, I, I get that completely because, I mean, that, that goes back to, you know, one of Malcolm Knowles' key principles of adult learning, doesn't it, that, that people want to know that what they're learning is going to be immediately relevant and it's going to help them solve real world problems that, that that's how adults are, are primed and prepared and willing to learn i totally understand that uh, john but of course it's not it's not physically humanly possible to have available uh, a, a deeper solution at point of need you can't immediately access the depth of content that you might need at the or within the flow of work if you like so do you not think that there is a real risk in saying that curated learning is the answer to addressing point of need learning do you not think there's a real risk that we end up with just superficial learning rather than deeper learning oh absolutely i think it's a risk um, and a risk that um, we don't want to devalue deep learning. I think that's going to be really um, critical because where does a, a degree, for example, become more relevant? I mean, 
yay for certificates, yay for a five-minute learning uh, module on Bloom's Taxonomy. But it doesn't teach you to be an instructional designer where you've got to do project work and, and interact with others and really digest theories and look at different applications. Um, so we need the deep work still. But there's so much that's going on in corporate training that's just a lot of fluff. They're long courses, um, lots of introduction, lots of setup, um, and not always drilling down to very useful application. Um, maybe it's somebody's book or something that's being discussed in a, a workshop, um, but not every aspect of the book is relevant. Yeah, so we're talking really now about the fact that a lot of the deep learning, you know, the more formal learning events, the, they themselves are just not very well designed. Is that what you're saying? And that, and that kind of works against them as being a really effective learning tool. Absolutely. Uh, even degree classes are not always structured in a uh, highly relevant way. They can be a bit esoteric. Yeah. I mean, I think you'll recall from the conversation we had last time about curated learning, I probably am a little more cynical about some of the challenges that I think are presented. I mean, I, I was talking with a client very recently, Joanne, and they've made available a vast array of content to their learners that they're able to access all kinds of resources on all kinds of topics. And that's the problem because they cannot sort the wheat from the chaff that their learners cannot figure out. Yeah, if I Google communication skills, there are 418 resources available to me, which is the most relevant to the need that I have. I think that's one of the, the big issues with curated learning and the platforms that, that they're used to access them at the moment, the fact that the content may look superficially relevant to the need that somebody has in the flow of work, but actually it's just a word or two that have triggered something to pop up in a search engine. And that's not good. That's really, really concerning. It is. It can be a black hole where you start um, that search process and you think you're going to find uh, two or three relevant um, solutions. And the first one, they're defining it very differently than the way you were thinking about it. So you refine your search a bit further and exclude that aspect of the topic. And then you, be after several tries, uh, you begin to get closer to what you were looking for but still quite, not quite where you want. Um, if you can't do that in a relatively quick way, you may have spent an hour refining your search. And that's really problematic. And it definitely does not hit that magic magnifier. Now you're frustrated um, and you're still unable to do your work and you've essentially, quote unquote, wasted an hour of your time. I I agree, and I think, unfortunately, both you and I have seen that happen and have heard stories around how 
problematic that can be. I, I was reading a little bit about this a few days ago, and I, there's a great quote or a definition, if you like, of, of, curating, of curation and curated learning. And, and it was from the Burson by Deloitte report, but it said, curation is the art or science of identifying the best information for the organization and providing context and order to it. And I think a lot of times that sentence stops halfway through. It's the provision of the context and the order to, to the actual curated material that I think is the real art or science that instructional designers are going to have to focus on rather than just dumping stuff into a repository and, and asking people to kind of skim through it and find what suits their need most effectively because that's not a very fruitful way i don't think uh, of making learning solutions available what do you think i love the idea of better context and order in fact several years ago i wrote a, a journal article that said we needed that soup can label on our courses that described in much more detail what's actually in it and if our courses are shorter broken into more meaningful chunks that soup can label if you will describes the context describes the order describes the activities the the learning theory all of the things that we have at our fingertips as instructional designers but often are constrained by the tool with just four sentences. Let me describe what this is. Does it have a pithy title? Sometimes the title might even be a bit misleading. Um, you're using a, a buzzword in one way and maybe the industry is thinking of it in a different way. Those little paragraphs that are supposed to be marketing pieces to draw you into your course I mean, may or may not be truth in advertising. So context and order as described with all of those pieces that really give meaning to that piece of learning and, you know, a series of hashtags at the very least that help you drill down into what is going to, what they're going to get from that. I mean, I think that's where the instructional designer focus has got to be. You know, I, I really think there's a role and, and far from the instructional designer becoming redundant or, or less relevant because of the advent of curated learning. I think it just throws a, a focus on how important it is for a learning and development professional to be providing that context and an order or, or sequence or, or tracking and mapping to ensure that people are not just fumbling around in, in a myriad of possible solutions. Um, you and I both know of an organization that has made so much material available and, and is now finding that the instructional design job is to create, if you like, ways to access that material. You know, uh, a portal in a sense that, that does indeed provide some context and organization and specifically provides pathways for people and, and a sense of uh, growth, a way to, to, to build one thing that leads to another on truly a learning journey around a topic rather than just 
28 titles that have got the word communication in it. And, and I think we're going to see, or we should see, much more instructional design effort focused on doing that. Because I think, as we said in our last podcast, unless we do that, I think there's a real risk that some of these attempts are going to to lead to to curated learning possibly even being seen as as a fad or something that didn't truly achieve what it claimed it was going to achieve because people are just lost people are just lost they are and i think it folks would respond that this ai system and really it does have some uh, very strong similarities to ai that artificial intelligence is relatively new in that recommender space although we've had recommender systems for about 20 years now um, most folks aren't aware when they see those uh, folks like you also like this course, or folks like you also liked this on Amazon. Um, Google has become the new encyclopedia. Uh, doesn't mean that everything there is super valuable. And interestingly enough, if you play around with Google, when you get off of like the fourth page, there's actually nothing there. They've truncated those because people never look past the first or second page. And, you know, those three million hits on your topic, they didn't even show them to you because it was a waste of their time to curate them. I think as we as we see this space grow for curated learning, um, where YouTube experts are chunking their content into five and ten minute insights, that LinkedIn Learning has all these mini courses that you can jump around in, which is a constraint that most training courses in industry just, they can't get their heads around. What happens if you don't complete my course? Well, nothing, because I didn't want to complete your course. I just wanted this piece of information from chapter three, section two. And, and that's a really strange space for measuring completion. And industry really values that. Um, what if I just wanted the summary from your course? Can I get into it and get to the so what, use that bit of information um, at a really superficial level? Because I don't need the deep insight. I just need the so what. I think typically, typically we just can't unpack all of those pieces from the new world of learning. Um, and that different way of thinking about what it means to know something. That phrase, the new world of learning, it is really it really significant, isn't it? Because in a sense, it, it's so new that the learners themselves have got to learn to learn in a different way. And the learning and development professionals, we, I think, have to learn to unlearn or let go of some of our old paradigms and, and, and ideas like when you come to my workshop you need to be there to the end to get credit because that just that that's old school thinking really really getting in the way of us being able to move into this new world of learning it, it, it's until until the instructional design the l d professionals grasp that there's a different way of thinking about things 
I think the learners are going to struggle to learn to learn in a new way. It, it's a two-sided uh, equation, isn't it? All of us have got to learn something new about learning. Yes. And I think when we teach uh, virtual live workshops or in-person workshops, if somebody gets up and leaves 15 minutes before the end, we take it as a personal affront, like, where are you going? I'm not done yet. Um, and it feels so personal. But from a learning journey standpoint, that wrapping up and anchoring of those key takeaways may or may not be very valuable for the person. And they may have something more valuable that in their mind that they need to go and do. And so what we attach value to as the facilitators, the instructional designers, the learning professionals, the learner may not have equal value assigned to that task. Oh, they're just wrapping up. They're just recapping. I'm not missing anything. So I've got to run. I've got, you know, X, Y, and Z to do. And for them, that's a low value activity. They've got the juice, the meaty bit from the, the workshop that they needed to implement. And they feel quite comfortable, much more comfortable than they've been in the past to just leave. And really, I suppose if you're facilitating a workshop like that, you yourself probably need to learn from that. Because what the message is, if you've lost three quarters of your learners by module seven, maybe module six isn't delivering the value that you thought it was going to. You know, it, it's interesting, isn't it? We, it's, we've got to start thinking differently, all of us. Instructional designers, L&D professionals generally, and learning facilitators, you know. We can't cling to the old way of viewing this and thinking of it because this is very, very different to what most of us grew up learning about learning. Yes, and I am seeing a trend in uh, the sales space where they have some sort of giveaway or some sort of massive value add at the very end. So if you stay to the end, then you'll get this free download or this whatever thing um, that helps the learner to stay motivated to stay to the end. So much of what we interact with in social media is swipe up, swipe right. We, we, when we're done, uh, we're moving on. Flick, you're gone. Um, not that I want learning to be quite that uh, impulsive, but I do think we need to think about what captures the learner and how do we keep them engaged until the very end? What is it that we are giving them um, that motivates them? So we started off talking about how curated learning, you know, pathways and learning journeys could leverage this magic magnifier of learning in the flow of work. What are the sort of the key takeaways, do you think, from what we've been discussing here, Joanne? So I think relevance is the solution to a lot of our frustrations as a learning professional. Um, it gives the learning so much more staying power. And when we focus on what gives value to the learner, we'll begin to be more creative in our solutions, whether that's a five-minute micro-learning or a four-hour workshop or a half-day. Though There are still needs for those. But it's about how relevant can we make it? How quickly can we deliver it? And making the learner wait for three months for a course is really frustrating. 
So yes, live courses are more interesting because they're more responsive, but what else could you do? And asking that what else could you do to captivate and leverage relevance because you know that for the learner, it lowers their frustration in wallowing in the status quo. Like, I just, I need an answer now, not three months from now. So lowering that frustration, giving them something to be going on with um, that immediately gives them relevant options. So in a pinch, do this. There are lots of other options, but here's a good solution. Have you made your course accessible? Have you chunked it out so they can get to that um, pithy takeaway quickly um, and then created a reason why they would need to go back and dig in deeper? If we can shorten that delay in finding an actual solution, I think you will um, grab learners' attention and you'll create, if you will, a tribe of learners who like to learn in the way you like to disseminate. And there is this vibe from uh, the way someone designs an e-learning course, even if their face, their touch is not immediately obvious. Um, just the other day, I had a subject matter expert say, can you redo this course? It's not terrible. It just needs your touch. And I said, well, how do you know I didn't create this one to begin with? And they said, I can just tell. One of the other developers in your office must have worked on it because it doesn't feel like you. It's not personable. It's not chunked in a meaningful way. And they just, they had some really good insights. So I think your flavor of instructional design, of learning delivery, helps a learner to connect to the content, connect to you, perhaps if you're there virtually or in video. Those ways that create relevance and tribe connection. Um, you know that if you uh, read books, you find an author that really speaks to you, that just expands your thinking. You follow up and you read everything they write on the topic because they speak to you. They're, they communicate in a way that's easy to understand. Most people don't need to know everything about the topic, but they need to know that you do and that you have insight. And so they break it all apart. They follow you. They watch your YouTube videos when they come out. They watch for your courses when they pop up on LinkedIn Learning. They trust you as a recommender. And I think if we're not creating pathways by people who do the job, then we're going to have pathways that don't feel authentic that they don't feel like here's a tribe of us frontline employees in a call center doing this particular role and the best of people there are recommending these things because it helped them not because someone else thinks it might help that role I just think there's a flavor there that um, is just so easy to connect to and it's relevant and it's interesting um, if it's not highly relevant now They've just got to help open up that and um, show how it's going to be relevant in the future. I mean, I know we've used the algebra uh, example before on the podcast. When a teacher tells you you use algebra one day, um, I just think that's such a cop out. Math teachers know when you use algebra. They should be listing off like 10 different professions and scenarios in common everyday life situations when you do actually use algebra. 
that relevance for learning something um, shouldn't be delayed for 10 years and then maybe you never see the connection and you never know that you actually used algebra last week because you think it's not relevant, you think it's useless and you say, man, that algebra is useless. But the reality is I'd say 75% of the population used algebra last week and probably didn't even know. It's got to be relevant because relevance is the magic magnifier. I, I totally understand what you're stressing about relevance there. And I think my only concerns are around making sure that we genuinely don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, thinking that the immediately accessible solution is always the best. I think you put it very nicely. And I think that phrase, curation is the art and science of identifying the best information for the organization and providing context and order to it. I think that's a real key phrase because I think the instructional designers listening in today should be focusing on doing that, i.e., like you said, within the flow of work, an immediate solution might be a potential need at a certain time, but it should also reference the fact that there is this workshop coming along in three months, that there is a deeper learning opportunity, and maybe what we provide at point of need in the flow of work is a stopgap solution that is a taster for something that will teach the how at a level of depth that we mustn't forget. That's my key thought around this, Joe. I couldn't agree more, Graham. Listeners, You've been listening to the Leaders in Learning Design podcast by Blue Consulting and Resourcing, a regular podcast for cutting-edge learning design. See you next time.